Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti, along with T. Frank Carr. And today's show is brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. For all your tailgating needs, the barbecue sauces, the barbecue rubs, including the new coffee barbecue rubs. And don't forget the all-important Bloody Mary mix. Everything to make your tailgate or your cookout fantastic. All of them fantastic products. Just go to 409tailgateclub.com. They now have a nice box package if you want to do a gift with all three of their coffee rubs, all three of which I've tried, and they're fantastic. Again, that's 409tailgateclub.com. All right, T. Frank, very recently you came out with a nice article talking about some prospects for Penn State's class of 24. These are yeah. a couple names, actually, that Penn State fans should be aware of because it's your folks think, they may be leaning yeah. Penn State's way, right? Yeah. So I, like I've said before on the show, I try never to pass off knowledge that isn't mine as my own, even though that's like the industry standard thing to do. I just, it bothers me. Um, and I also try really to keep buckets and everything separate. But this work I did is based on the work of Sean Fitz and uh, Ryan Snyder over at bluewhiteillustrated.com. So if you want to check out what they do, that's what this is all based on. Um, so these are players that they have picks in for that they think are going to end up as Nittany Lions. A lot of these guys they've talked about on our show. Um, so it just so that I didn't get caught flat footed, I went and I did an early scouting report. This is a very thumbnail sort of, okay, what are the first couple things that uh, pop off the tape to me when I watch, you know, five, 10 minutes of a full game, not necessarily just watching the, uh, uh, highlight film going in and watching more of actual footage rather than just what they want you to see on, on their huddle tape. So that's what we got here. It's not a comprehensive breakdown, but it is a good place to start from when we're talking about these football players. And uh, just to give credit where it's due also some fantastic work by those guys over at BWI. I always read their stuff and it's fantastic. So let's, let's hit the names Uh, T Frank. Mm -hmm. Let's start with, William Satterwhite, he's 6'5", 290-pound, four-star lineman, probably an interior offensive lineman, right? And the number eight player in Ohio. What do we know about him? So he plays right tackle for his high school, and he's one of the guys I really like to scout because he's good at football. So it makes his strengths and weaknesses a little bit more apparent. And uh, he's very athletic. Good length, you know, if he was pressed into tackle, he could probably do it for a game at the next level. But his best position will be guard uh, going forward, because uh, if you ever hear offensive line coaches or anybody talking about quick hips, a lot of that what you're talking about is your ability to flip your hips and get on one side or the other of a defensive lineman. So when I watch him play, he has great lateral athleticism. He has super quick hips and he can get to difficult blocks very easily at the high school level. Um, I'd say athleticism and technique are his strengths. Um, 
on the high school level, everybody dominates, right? I, I don't know that he has overwhelming strength from what I can tell. That'd be one of the things I want to watch more and get further into is like, okay, how does he look in more matchups? How does he look when he's doing this against team a, a player that challenges him? But for the most part, um, I think he's a, a college-ready prospect heading into his senior season. So if Penn State lands this player, um, they have another interior offensive lineman, maybe from a physical standpoint, 295 pounds already, and looks like good weight. So all those things are positive that he could be a guy that contributes early in his career. And, uh, you know, from a technical standpoint, he can hold his own. So it would just be about physical translation to the next level once he gets on the field. When I hear offensive linemen coming out of high school and he has the weight is well distributed, it's good weight. That's always pleasant to hear because I know so often it seems like offensive linemen, you need to redo their body when they get to college, right? Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. So he, I'm getting the sense just from watching him that he comes from a very good high school program where they have uh, professional levels of understanding when it comes to strength and conditioning and when it comes to, uh, you know, football, like good coaching. So I, I haven't seen him up close and in person to tell, okay, there is a little bit of fat that needs to be trimmed. But at 295, he moves very, very well. And that's a great sign. Like he's not lumbering around the field at 295. And that would make him one of the bigger prospects that Penn State has recruited recently, you know, coming out of high school. This past class, all the guys were about 285, 280 to be that close to 300 pounds and have your senior season to go. Um, I don't know that you want him coming in at 305. I think you still want to do some of that development in-house. But great, really great, I think, high floor for William Satterwhite. And then the question is, like, what's the ceiling in terms of his overall potential? I don't think it's a low ceiling, but I just I don't know if it's the most elite player, because if he was like all of the things you wanted, he would be a tackle. And so, you know, I, I think that that kind of gauges where he could be. But I think he could be an exceptionally good offensive guard, probably on the left side, based on his athletic profile. Gotcha. All right, let's move on. Let's go to Jalen Harvey. 6'2", 235, four-star defensive end out of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Penn State considers Maryland home turf. So uh, what yeah. do you know about Jalen Harvey? What did you see on the film? He also comes from Quince Orchard, which is where uh, Chop Robinson came from. So another defensive end from, uh, from Quince Orchard. Explosive, uh, really quick around the edge. And on his earlier film, he's a very interesting one that hasn't put out a lot of, of film. And I dug into why. Um, so sophomore season, he's playing defensive end, playing that edge rusher position and, uh, you know, gets on everybody's radar and gets a lot of offers, has the Penn State offer. Uh, not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, maybe 6'2", you know, like I, I think he's somewhere in that area, but he is a thick football player. So he's strong, he's developed and he's athletic. So much so that they put him at five techniques. So if you remember when we talked about Denied and Sutton for um, McDonough, he was really playing a defensive tackle role for most of his time in high school. And it we didn't get to see him rush from the edge and see what his bend and movement skills are and all those things. This is the flip side of that, where we've seen Jalen Harvey. We've seen his athleticism on the edge, and now he's being forced to play on the interior and take on contact. One of my biggest beefs with highly athletic football players, especially defensive end, like I watch Tony Rojas 
just run by people all the time. Like no one could touch him. So then the question was like, okay, I don't know how he takes on contact as a as a um, as a defensive player. It's still going to matter when he's a linebacker. Does he play through toughness and does he, you know, take on blocks and will he be willing to sacrifice a shoulder to get into the gap properly? Uh, then you watch, you know, total aside, then you watch him run through people and you're like, okay, this kid is tough. He's not, that's not going to be a problem. Um, with Harvey, I love this because I get to see him. He's forced to take on contact as a three technique and as a five technique. And for those that don't know, a three technique is a defensive tackle. A five technique is the start of where you classify a defensive end. You are nose to nose with the offensive tackle. So you have to go through contact. Um, quickness and explosiveness. He does a great job shedding blocks. And uh, I like the way he rushes through a block. So this is this is exactly what I, I've seen him be able to take that physicality from somebody else and still be able to play with contact balance and get to where he's trying to go. It's harder to get pressure up the middle as an undersized defensive tackle, even in high school. Um, and teams just run away from him. So, but we still see good run defense um, and the fundamentals of it and the fact that he's not going to get pushed around. We'll see what happens when he gets to college because he is on the smaller side um, and he might be a, a, you know, a speed only player or, or a pass rushing only player, but I feel confident that he's not. I feel confident that he can play through contact. He won't be a speed only player. He'll be able to bend the edge and use power as well as just speed. So, um, again, all of this stuff is he's playing against high school guards. You're not really saying like, OK, he's going to be a guy that can condense down into the interior of the future. But I have less concern about him playing with physicality because I've seen these things still need to see more about what his pass rushing tools are, what the again, what the upper end is here. But um, a lot to like with Jalen Harvey and a more balanced profile than you expect from a guy when we first saw him was speed, speed, speed and then more speed. So actually, there's a bit of an advantage of him quote-unquote, playing out a position because you get to see other traits from him. Yeah. Let's move on. This is intriguing. Kevin Haywood, six foot seven, 290-pound yeah. offensive tackle. He's a four-star out of New Jersey. T. Frank, that six foot seven really stands out. Yes, it does, and it does. So I, I don't... Of course, I don't put as much stock in in-person evaluations as much as just being able to watch and evaluate and understand what a player is. But having seen Kevin Haywood up close and in person at a camp, he is every inch of that 6'7". And the thing I noticed about him in, uh, initially, right off the bat, is first off, his lower half is built like a Clydesdale. He has the most powerful legs. And the thing I like is that at the time, and I don't know how he's developed since as much, did watch his film. So like from his junior season, it looked very good. His pad level for a guy that's six, seven is obviously taller than everybody else, but not I'm six, seven. He's got great pad level for his size. And to me, that's the biggest concern when I see a guy that's, uh, I think six, seven is actually a little too tall to be a complete offensive lineman. You have to be really athletic. You have to be really good to play that tall and not have any weaknesses. Um, and every player has weaknesses. Every player has things that they're not good at, but you just have that extra little sprinkling, you know, finishing salt of disadvantage. If you don't win leverage and you have to win through outright brute strength. Um, I like his base fundamentals. You know, like I said, his pad level, his drive, his run blocking. I think his footwork is pretty good. 
Um, but again, pass protection, I don't know as much about high school offensive tackles. It's always hard to gauge that. And overall athleticism, he's a tackle. But I think just looking at him, he's a right tackle. And that's one thing you'd say. I don't think he's going to be a bust as a football player based on his you know, profile from a physical standpoint. I think he can do what he needs to do. But then positionally, I would be most comfortable if he were on my team playing right tackle. And that's where I'm setting the, the standard right now. We'll see what he does as a senior, see if that athleticism kicks in. Um, so that's that's where I'd say my concern would be is that he's a Penn State recruits all of these players to be multi-positional. And I don't see as much multi-positionality with Kevin Haywood. I think he could probably play right tackle and maybe right guard, maybe. But again, six, seven is very tall. Very good, T. Frank, but that's it for quarter number one. We're going to pick up this conversation in quarter number two. We got another name to give you, and I want to talk some class of 24 in general. Stick around for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. We are taking a look at some of the names you should know for Penn State's Class of 24. Uh, T. Frank did his first scouting report on a few players. We got through three names in quarter number one. William Satterwhite, a six foot five, two hundred ninety pound offensive lineman from Ohio. Jalen Harvey, a defensive end from Maryland. We finished up with Kevin Haywood, six foot seven, two hundred ninety pound offensive tackle. And I wanted to follow up one more question with Haywood. You said. You look at him as a right tackle versus left tackle. Now, typically, I think of left tackle as being more important because it protects a right-handed quarterback's blind side. Yeah. What is it that distinguishes, other than that, playing right tackle but not left tackle? So the actual answer is not much. <laughs> like this is so th- there are th- this is a multi-layered conversation because. We're talking about traditional football archetypes, which is something I try to steer away from. But you can't when when you're making these small delineations and, and differences, you kind of come back to these traditional things. 
in today's offense, especially with how you want to be able to run the ball both ways and pass the ball at any time, your right tackle versus left tackle does not have the same distinction it did 25 years ago where your left tackle is your pass protector and your right tackle is your run blocker. But that is kind of how I'm saying this. Of If teams have the preference or they have the ability to, they'll put their best pass rusher still on the right side of the defensive line. And then the left side will be, you know, and remember, this is this is flip. So your left tackle is facing the right defensive end. That's usually the premier pass rushing matchup. On the flip side, you have the uh, left defensive end versus the right tackle. And that is typically a situation where it is the this gross, disgusting generalities, but your strong side defensive end because you line up your tight end to that side and you run the ball that way. So you have your more powerful defensive end on that side. And uh, that's a better run blocker. But for example of how that's also immediately not true. Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. Last year, Chop Robinson was the better pass rusher, and he rushed from the offense's right. So he was going up against weaker tackles on a regular basis, if you follow this logic. And Adisa Isaac, the veteran player, and coming off his injury, but, you know, the the lead pass rusher was on uh, on the defensive right side, and he was not as effective. So um, if they continue to do that this year, just goes to show you that both your tackles need to be able to pass protect. And the way that you know, multiplicity is the name of the game in college football, even for basic offenses. You put the tight end wherever you put the tight end. It does not, you're not following any traditional scenarios anymore. So both defensive ends need to be able to pass rush. Both of them need to be able to run, uh, run, stop the run and vice versa. But if you are splitting hairs here and that's what we're doing, I, you're less often going to face the best pass rusher on the right side. You can still get away with a guy that maybe is not as athletic, you know, Caden Wallace versus Olufashanu. They they're there in those positions for a reason. So that's why I would say Kevin Haywood. I don't think he has the athleticism of a left tackle that I've seen on film yet. He could surprise us this coming year when you're that powerful and your legs are that big in the lower half. It does take a lot more athletic skill to be in the proper position and to not be heavy footed. I don't think he's super heavy footed, but I do think that there is a little bit of a separator between him and some of the other tackle prospects Penn State has brought in. Essentially, it sounds like you're saying your number one tackle goes on the left side. Your number two tackle goes on the right side. Yeah, but there's so much more interesting things. And plus, we've got to fill 12 minutes here. So, <laughs> by, by the way, I also want to point something out. Um, we've been doing our show for seven years, T. Frank which mm-hmm. means lots of questions, lots of answers. I am willing to bet in seven years that that was the first time in one answer we heard both the word archetypes and multiplicity in one answer. So <laughs> congrats to you. Hope to God I used them correctly. Hope <laughs> to God I didn't sound like an idiot trying to use those words. If our audience is like me, we wouldn't know anyway. So, T. Frank, <laughs> we just say, oh, okay. <laughs> the worst part on. is, Jim, got... I, I'm not like trying to sound fancy and smart. Like, those are just the words that came to my brain. So, like, I'm just a nerd. And and that's that's who I am. It's not like I'm just, yes, uh, I'm wearing a monocle and using words like multiplicity and duality. It's like, I'm, that's what popped into my brain and I can't help it. 
you've got a nice vocabulary and Sorry. you are fancy and smart, T. Frank. Okay, we get it. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, let's let's go to Kenneth Wosley, a five five eleven hundred seventy pound cornerback, um, four star from Philadelphia Imhotep, which I think mm-hmm. is important that this is a Philadelphia player and from this mm-hmm. school, which produces a lot of pretty good uh, ball players, T. Frank. Yeah, and, and he's a good football player. So um, he's the most interesting of this group. Now, I want to start, and this is, this is I feel like I've said this before, maybe not here, but cornerback is probably my weakest position of understanding and evaluation. Um, because it's just the number of plays you get to watch where something actually happens is so much smaller than a lot of other positions like offensive line where there's an interaction, there's a forced interaction on every single play. So you get just more reps of watching something happen Um, in, in the receiver DB matchup, you can run a great route and you can get beat, but if the ball doesn't go there, it doesn't matter. Um, And then there's just a lot of like, I'm cover three and I'm preventative defense here. And he's running a go route and the, the route is actually designed to run me out of the zone, right? So like we're both doing what we're supposed to be doing, but we're all also both decoys in this play in a certain sense. Like, you know, it it can be a little bit of skip, 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 skip in the, uh, in the evaluation. And that's kind of where Kenny Woosley was where a lot of, he plays a lot of cover three. So he's in a lot of deep defense in high school. He's playing basically one third silo of the field. And if you know high school football, no one's attacking vertically or running complicated routes to get a second vertical route through his zone. That being said, when he was pressed, he's got good athleticism, good agility, good change of direction metrics. My concern is sometimes I'm not sure his his overall speed his deep speed, especially, or when he has to stay in man coverage. Um, And again, this is, this can be just a bad day. He could have been injured. I don't know. Um, So those are the, without actual testing numbers, I don't know how fast he is, but I saw him get beat more than I expected in single coverage. The other thing is he's uh, generously listed to 5'11". He does not have a big frame um, and he's not a guy that has a lot of mass to him. Um, I think you play slot corner at the next level. I think that would be an interesting fit. I want to see that. And also, you can just play boundary corner as well because Kalen King isn't the biggest guy in the world, but a physical football player, tough, and uh, you know does his job in run defense in the flat as well as you'd want. And I think Kenny Woosley hits. I think he's willing to hit, but uh, you know, just some concerns about maybe, like I said, size and and high end deep speed. I I'm, I want to see more of that so that I, I have a better picture of who Kenny Woosley is. Okay, with the couple minutes that we have left in this segment, uh, T. Frank, I wanted to ask you a couple kind of general questions about recruiting and specifically class of 24 recruiting. It seems like there are classes where Penn State emphasizes a position. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, we saw a superstar quarterback and another pretty good quarterback in the same class. This past year one quarterback and it was kind of a struggle to bring that till they got to that one this past season class of uh, 23 we saw that the emphasis on the offensive line two studs there and four guys total for that position how much of that is needs how much of that is availability how how does some of those things get done 
so I would I would base <laughs> it's funny the answer is different now than it was four years ago because the transfer portal changes everything and I know that you probably are tired of hearing that but it does because it, both at the same time you cannot count on your own depth to be there next year which is both a good and a bad thing depending on how you've recruited secondarily you also have the option of going into the portal and trying to find what's available at certain positions Penn State has done a very good job of going into the portal and finding those players but uh, number one it's based on I would say what the team needs based on previous recruiting classes what's the strength what's the situation on the roster and then secondarily it's built off of what's available in the region so if you've got and really that's what it comes down to they're going to take the best football players regardless of position and stock up on talent um, and then figure it out from there. But when you have to make these decisions based off of scholarship numbers and, and your roster, you might load up on say offensive linemen one year or then move on to linebacker and so on and so forth. So looking at the class of 24 in this region, any feel for where, what the strengths are position wise? Not fully yet, because there's a lot more to go in terms of recruiting. Uh, you know, and on three, who Blue White Illustrated, that's the parent company within the new scouting service that you should definitely check out. Comprehensive view of all of this stuff, but like we're still in that process of um, creating the information and the knowledge. You know, camp circuits, times, athletic testing, kids grow. <laughs> you know, here's the other crazy thing is, Kids, men in high school tend to grow more uh, than men in their 30s. So there's there's less, you know, there's more projection based on all of this. But um, in the region, I think the number one thing I would point to right now is offensive line. There's actually a depth of good football players. And the, the question is, can Penn State land elite players like they did before? Or are they going to get, uh, you know, good players? Cooper Cousins is already on uh, the staff or is already committed to this program. Kevin Haywood is, uh, and this is just in Pennsylvania, Kevin Haywood, Peter Jones from Malvern Prep has already gone to Notre Dame. He's already committed there. Um, there's a couple of players outside of just Pennsylvania as well. Ohio, William Satterwhite, where he's from. There's three offensive linemen from the same school, Ben Roebuck and then the Armstrong twins that are interested in Penn State and uh, in New England, there's a couple good players. And then down south in uh, the extended region, Virginia, down into the Carolinas, there's some good talent as well on the offensive line. So that's the where I would start with. There seems to be a good crop of another good crop of offensive linemen. Um, and then can Penn State land the best combination of those players to complement what they have on the roster currently? And I think they're a good position to do it. What's nice is when the something like offensive line is a strength in the area. There's five of those positions to fill as right. opposed to say a quarterback where there's only one of them. So if you could stock up on offensive linemen, that's a good thing. It's a very good thing T Frank. That is it for quarter number two. Speaking of very good things, we've got ask T Frank coming up. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. 
Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. It's quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. T. Frank answers the questions, and then he also picks out a best question. And whoever sent us that best question, you're the winner of the 409tailgateclub.com prize pack, which includes those fantastic coffee rubs that I tell you about all the time. If you want to send in your question for T. Frank, real easy, just go to your app store, look for Keystone Sports. That's Keystone Sports. Download the app. There's a button there that says, Ask T. Frank. doesn't get any easier than that. All right. Ready for your questions? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. Let's see. Well, let's start with Paul in Raleigh. He says, T. Frank, we saw many 22 recruits making their mark on the team right away last year. Who among the 23 recruits can make their mark this year? And bonus question, who among the 22 red shirts do you think can step up this year? Hold on. Let me pull up every roster of every Penn Stater so I don't miss anybody. <laughs> Jeez. Um, let's go with the current roster. And the, obviously, somebody at receiver has to step up. I'd say Caden Saunders, the highest ranked recruit from last year. And the guy that has the, uh, you know, I'd say the highest dose of talent would be the guy that has the opportunity to do that quickly this year. Uh, but don't don't count out Amari Evans who played last year. And then I'm a fan of the skills and the potential for a guy uh, moving over to the position in Christian driver at receiver. Um, quickly look through here just so again, so I don't miss anybody. Um if you count the offensive line and JB Nelson, Vega Yuane, I think those two guys specifically, if we count JB Nelson, I think both those guys can push for playing time this coming year, especially Vega, who is just unbelievably physically impressive. And um, it seems to be a guy that is doing everything right in terms of putting in the work to become a very good football player. Um Deny Dennis Sutton, obviously, you have the opportunity for him. I don't put him as a breakout candidate simply because of the depth of that position and the players that are ahead of him. And then uh, KJ Winston, Kevin Winston at uh, safety could have a breakout season. So those are the redshirt players. Class of 2023, um, Alex Birchmeyer is in position already on campus, already getting bigger and stronger and faster, part of the winter workouts. I like Elliot Washington. I've liked his physical abilities, his size he's six foot 195 and runs super fast he's physical i just looking at him i think he's got a bit of a nasty streak so 
in terms of a guy that I think has the maturity to play early. He has some technical stuff he needs to work on because he came from a pretty specific system in high school. And most corners do, but he was playing something that Penn State doesn't play a lot of uh, and a technique that, he, that Penn State doesn't play a lot of. So I think that that's an area where he's got to get a little bit better. King Mack, he's a slot safety hybrid. And depending on how Penn State's defensive back situation goes, how they move players around, he might have the opportunity to see some time. Um, Andrew Rappelier, there's who's going to be the H back this year. Tyler Warren struggled a little bit filling in for in, in full time duty last year. Um, so he'll get the first crack at it, but there's going to be some competition at that H back position now that uh, Brenton Strange is in the NFL. And then think that might be really it for the class of 23 in terms of guys that I think have legitimate ability and the path to the field in order to compete for year one. I was looking ahead to the next question. So if I missed it, I apologize. Did you mention Tony Rojas? He seems to be getting a lot of play. I am holding off on that because of the depth at Sam linebacker, because you have Curtis Jacobs there, Dom DeLuca's coming back, and then Tyrese Mills. We, we can't forget about Tyrese Mills. The interesting thing is we got to figure out where he's playing because he said recently he's at safety and uh, he's listed as a linebacker on the roster. So depending on what happens there, maybe that Sam position, it's one of the ones you can transition to more quickly from high school. But Tony had zero um uh, linebacker snaps in, in high school. He was a defense van and a running back. And it's not to say that he can't make that transition. Again, he's a winter workout uh, early enrollee. He's here right now. He's getting bigger and stronger as well. And he's learning the position more, but like it's, I've never seen him drop into coverage. And that Sam position is a coverage position. So he's an, or he could be an early down defender going forward, but we have zero knowledge of what he is. And if you want to make the Micah Parsons comparison, Micah played Will. He's that's a box linebacker position. He didn't play the Sam to start Curtis Jacobs. He was a safety and then he moved to linebacker and played early in his career. So it's very different playing that. The reason that they're they're moving safeties to that position is because it is a it's heavy on coverage. You're covering 35 yards laterally, plus having to know where players are behind you. So that's I, I, I can I have some concern about that, but also I understand that it's not that big a deal if you put him in there on early downs and you give him you let him get his feet wet. I wouldn't call him a strong contributor next year, though. All right. Very good. Let's talk to Jimmy in Forest City, who says, T, I'll tell you what, that's pretty familiar. It's that just calling you T. Yeah. Um, we talked about this the other week. So Jimmy's got to yes. be an older guy, right? Wanting that T. I met <laughs> Jimmy. Yeah, he, he's more my generation than yours, T, yeah. Frank. All right. Well, Jimmy says, T, I saw a mock draft where the Buffalo Bills take a safety in the second round. How would you like to see that pick be Jair Brown? You think he could go that high? After Joey Porter Jr. and Jair Brown, who might be the next Penn Staters drafted? And just quick full disclosure for those of you who don't listen regularly, and why don't you? T. Frank is a Buffalo Bills guy. I, I, the core of me is just Buffalo Bills. It's just a blue and white blob in the center of my soul. Um, I thought Brisker was a better fit, truthfully. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's both true and not true. I don't know what athletic testing numbers are going to come through for TIG. 
and and the the concern I have is Penn State plays. I'm sorry, um, Penn State with Manny Diaz plays a more similar system to what the Buffalo Bills run in the NFL. It's a more match system. Um, at least that's what it was traditionally, and that there's some crossover there. But the the Bills play a too high safety system where both safeties have to play over the slot. There has to be some man coverage ability with the ability to also play, you know, true safety. Micah Hyde came over as a former slot corner and moved to safety. So they need to have man coverage abilities. Tig showed that last year against tight ends and slow receivers. I don't know that I would put Tig up against NFL slot receivers and feel like I'm putting him in a position to succeed. Um, but he is a more multi-dimensional talent than some other guys that play pure free or pure strong safety. So the Penn State system does fit what the the Bills are looking for, but I don't know that Jair has that I am a corner that's big and play kind of this middle-of-the-road position. Um, so I, I think he could go that high if he tests well. That's the main thing is going to be speed and upper end ability because he doesn't have the biggest frame in the world. He's stocky and he's strong, but he's not terribly good against the run. And uh, he doesn't have exceptional length. His best true position was free safety where he could track the ball and go get turnovers. He was very good in that role. So if that's his role, he has to get better in the box. He has to be a little bit better filling downhill. He can be that sort of over the box safety that then fills in run defense. But in the NFL, it's harder to do that because the minute you cheat down too far, then all of a sudden you've got the ball going over your head. So I know that was a longer answer than people wanted and had more bills than it needed. But that's I, I'm I have a complicated relationship with this particular thought, knowing that I, I really, really respect Tig Brown, but I'm not sure how he translates to the NFL or especially the Bills defense. Um, I think he could go in the second round, though. Very late good. second, late second. Since you are bleeding Buffalo Bill colors, let's stay on that theme, T. Frank. Okay, oh, man. How about these are guys? They know you. They know you, T. Frank. They know you. So here's Carl in Gettysburg who says, "Since you're a Bills fan, can you compare Josh Allen when he first was drafted?" To Will Levis <laughs> now at the same oh, stage. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was thinking we were going Drew Aller. Okay. Um. Uh. I think Will Levis is a little more polished than Josh Allen was, but I don't know that Will Levis has the decision-making skills that Josh Allen did to make amazing plays. Here's the thing about Will is that um, when it's good, it is that level of arm talent, delivery. He flicks the ball, and it goes 70 yards on a rope. His decision-making was really, really bad, uh, on the deep ball especially. And he refuses at times to come off the deep ball. So last season, twenty I mean 2021, when he had the breakout season for Kentucky, he did a great job of creating explosive plays and being a real problem of he can throw the ball deep on a dime. He'll hang in the pocket forever, but there's also design runs where he turns into a fullback. Um, Josh Allen is not as physical of a runner in mentality. He is just he's just unstoppable. Like he he's not interested in running you over, but he will if he has to. Um, will Levis has one gear and it's freight truck running down the hill with no brakes. So uh, there, there's some similarities, but there's some differences. 
The problem with Will is that the variance in his deep ball has never really been consistently good. Even when he was throwing dimes for Kentucky the year before, you could I could dial up a bunch of plays where it's like, what in the world were you doing? That was awful. And it regressed this past season when he didn't have as good of an offensive line. He didn't have as good of receivers. So is he a guy that has to be propped up by talent around him or can he evolve and make better decisions there? So the similarities are Josh Allen does kind of the same thing. He the reason the Bills lost in the conference champion or in the divisional round is because he refused to check the ball down. He refused to take the the underneath routes and uh, the Bengals, you know, put a stranglehold on on the, the deep part of the field in the snow. So there are similarities, but the talent is not quite the same. And I think the extracurricular sparks of greatness might not be the same in Will. But he is a good football player. And I, I, as much as I don't see him as a first-round pick, I see the tools as a first-round pick, and teams are going to bet on that for sure. And I think Will Levis is going to owe Josh Allen a lot of money because yes. I believe people look at Will Levis and say, we could do the same thing with him as the Bills did with Josh Allen. He could be our yeah. version of that guy. I believe there's I want to a come back to this on, on quarter four. I want to come back to this because you make a good point and we got to get to I want to make sure we get to that. We will definitely do that. So stick around for quarter number four. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. And as promised, we will get a follow-up from T. Frank from our uh, Ask T. Frank segment. And also, T. Frank's going to pick out a winner. What do you got, T. Frank? Yeah, so obviously we're, we're continuing the conversation of Will Levis that Carl started. So Carl is going to be our winner. Um, and, and I want to defend myself. This is not a Bills-centric reason. Uh, Will Levis has been a polarizing figure for Penn State fans now for two years. Um, I did. Paul and Raleigh asked a Penn State question. So, like, I, I want to make sure he understands that I get it. Um, but uh, and and maybe on any other day, you might have been the winner. Um, but Will Levis, this conversation about what he is and how he translates to the NFL, I think is really important because Penn State fans are going to see first round draft pick and they're going to get all 
feeling they're going to be all up in their feelings about uh, Penn State not having a first round quarterback and Will Levis moving on. I don't think that I don't know that Will Levis would have been any better or worse for Penn State in 2022 than he was for Kentucky in 2021. Like, I think his story would have just been flipped. Um, He wouldn't have been any better with the group around him that Sean Clifford had. But the the point I wanted to bring up here, and I'm getting totally off track, what is different about Josh Allen is that he didn't know how to throw the football correctly when he was drafted seventh overall. Literally, the story of Josh Allen is he changed his mechanics in the NFL, in his third season in the NFL. So he was so overwhelmingly talented that he could make it work when he wasn't accurate. And then suddenly he became accurate and the Bills got lucky that he turned into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, if just if you ever want to learn about that and you want to see these comparisons, go search, you know, Josh Allen throwing motion and stuff like that. The same conversation can be applied and people have tried to apply it to uh, Drew Aller. Drew Aller went through that process in high school. He had a quarterback coach in high school. So fundamentally, the story is different. That Josh Allen uh, was this scrambling, improvising, wild man. Like I, He looks like a moose running around on the football field that suddenly is a quarterback. So fundamentally, Drew Aller is a pocket passer. Like That's what he wants to be. He wants to throw from the pocket. Very different football players. Will Levis is a little more similar to Josh Allen. And the reason everyone is chasing Josh Allen is because he's the exception to this rule. And the concern is, I think, for the NFL is they've learned the wrong lesson from the Buffalo Bills and from Josh Allen that you not every toolsy quarterback is going to work out. Will Levis already throws the ball correctly. That's not his issue. His issue is decision making and accuracy on deep balls. And it's that's something different than he's pulling too hard from the top of his drop from his arm angle and his hips aren't firing in the proper direction. a chain of movement and, and muscular chain and the posterior of his throwing motion. Like Josh Allen fundamentally changed the way his body moved in order to throw the football. Well, will Levis throws the ball. Great. It's just that sometimes it doesn't work. And that's, that's a less fixable problem. Even though changing your mechanics, what, what Josh Allen did, most players cannot do that. Uh, and most players don't have the mental capacity or the the athleticism. I think that was the best way I heard it described is the actual athleticism to change something that has been ingrained in you since high school. So that's why I wanted to follow up with Will Levis of uh, and, and the Josh Allen thing that we're all trying to chase. It's just individual quarterbacks are so very different from Josh Allen because he's he's very much one of a kind. Now I'm going to follow up on the, the same question. You mentioned it all, the anxiety that Penn State fans have. We know the uh, way so many Penn State fans feel about Sean Clifford. Seeing Will Levis being a first-round draft pick, it looks like even possibly a top 10 or even top 5 pick. You yeah. know that section of the Penn State fan base is going to say, see, see, I told you. Should have gotten rid of Clifford, made Levis the guy. But my question to you is, is it possible that Sean Clifford was the right choice to make, was the better college quarterback for Penn State, and will Levis be the guy who turns into a very good NFL quarterback while Sean Clifford never throws a pass in the NFL in his life? So you watch the way that 2022 ended. 
And that was peak of Sean Clifford's powers. Decision-making, throwing the ball accurately, being on target with the, you know, and, and precise and anticipatory and the mind for the game. That was what they were chasing with him the entire time. The deep ball accuracy and, and making the, the great plays. There was obviously struggles with that. But even at the end of his career, when Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, played very well in the final couple games, we kind of saw the, okay, so this is what it was supposed to be the whole time. So I, I just think that that all of those things and the leadership and everything else, it's not a clear-cut thing. Um, you know, as far as playing the position, I haven't done as much. Clearly, I have not done nearly as much work on Will Levis to know, like, especially this past season, what was it like for him? What were the struggles? Um, what was his role in all of that? But the offense was very different. That's the other thing. In, in 2021, when he was very good, it was very formulaed, power running deep passes and there was some good stuff mixed in there over the middle and he did hang in the pocket and make some great throws but it was a system and a scheme built around him not necessarily him flourishing and breaking out to be a quarterback that is this um third and ten find the right player over the middle of the field make the excellent anticipatory throw he wasn't doing that either he was just having success in a different way and that's again going back to his projection the nfl I don't know that I've seen all of the things necessary to say he's going to be the next great quarterback. He's just got the physical tools and he's flashed it a little bit that teams are going to take a risk on it. It is a risk. It is not a guarantee. And his upside is just more. And that's why a starter, he's got enough of the profile to be in the conversation. He's not just a total wild card. And then, you know, you throw in the tools and that's what makes him a top five pick. Sean Clifford is just not, none of those things, but he still was a good quarterback for Penn State. Do you want to talk about the topic we said we were going to talk about for quarter four? Sure. I mean, it relates to Sean Clifford. It's about leadership. <laughs> it does, and that's exactly where I want to start. Uh, a common theme on this offseason from James Franklin has been about leadership in the void there, and leadership comes typically from your veteran players. There are certain positions that uh, – lend itself more to those leadership roles, perhaps on defense, it's that middle linebacker calling signals, but there's no greater leader on a team or opportunity than a veteran quarterback. Okay. And there was no more veteran quarterback than Sean Clifford, who's been at Penn state since, since I was there. And Yeah, you see, uh, T. Frank knows how old I am, so he knows what an exaggeration that is. But you now have Sean Clifford moving on. He won't be your leader for the first time in years at quarterback position. Where is that leadership going to come from? And is it fair to take a guy like Drew Aller because he plays quarterback and expect him to be that kind of guy? So it's a thing that develops over time, right? It's it's about leadership is, I don't even know, wouldn't even really know the, the correct way to accurately define it in its full context, but just like, uh, <laughs> okay, so here, here's, here's a good example. And I apologize if this, I, I draw comparisons from my own life because it's my best way of relating to the world. My in-laws did not like me when they first, when I first started dating my wife, they, they, there was a there was a couple like factors of like 
they're very religious and they're, they're Mormon and I am not. And there was this whole thing. And I said, listen, parents love me. I said, this is my wife. It's just going to take them time to realize they actually do like me. And they, they love me now. Like I've, I earned their trust. I earned their respect that I actually love their daughter and want to take care of her and want to, you know, have a happy life. And I'm not some dangerous individual. It's going to take time to build leadership. Like you don't do it overnight. Um, the, so yes, uh, Drew Aller can be a leader for this team, but it's not going to be by March 1st. It's going to take the, uh, the accumulation of days of him being an example of a leader. And then, and the, the, the vocal part of it, of, of keeping people on track and keeping, um, the, the program going in the right direction. And it's going to take a lot from him. And that's one thing I, I talked to him about when we got to meet them. I think it was last week on Tuesday. I said, you know, he's talking about like wanting to be a leader. And also at the same time, he's got to be a better quarterback and he's got to learn all these things. And I asked him, like, do you have a checklist or something? Like there are so many things here to remember and to be good at and to get better at. And he's like, he said, yeah, basically, like I have a, a, a checklist. I try to keep it down to like three things and be as specific as possible about those things, because you try to get better at everything. You're not going to get better at anything. So is leadership third on that list? I think being a good quarterback has to be number one. And in that you've got a whole, you got a whole ecosystem of things there. So it's, it's a very tall task, but he can do it. And it is something that will mostly come from his day-to-day -day example, but it also will require him at times to be, I think a little bit more than himself and to rise above that and to, you know, speak out and, command a room of people that are older than him and that have been that have more experience and are maybe less mature. So it, it'll be, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. And it's the reason we're talking about it. And I think one of the things that maybe gets lost in with Sean Clifford is he was such a good leader is a Drew Aller got to see what it looks like. And yes. That's helpful. And I think that you can create that legacy a little bit by position I believe that the Penn State running backs are still feeling the effect of Saquon Barkley mm -hmm. and his work ethic, which worked its way down to Miles Sanders and Journey Brown. And, you know, you're now seeing it with Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. But there's also positions throughout the team. You saw, I believe, P.J. Mustafer, Jair Brown, even like Jonathan Sutherland, who may not have been the best player, but he's been around a while and showed those leadership skills. Who are the guys that you think on the rest of the team are the most likely to step up and be that kind of leader? Uh, I think that, see, the thing is, like, we, I don't know all of these players and their personalities individually. We talked to Ola Fishanu the other day, and he said that it's not natural to him, but he's going to have to do it, and he wants to be a better leader. So your veterans are where you start. And then it's about this is this is the whole point of what we're doing right now. And this is the psychology of being a coach and coach manipulation. This is the first thing out of James Franklin's mouth in February, essentially. So by doing that, he has put in an ecosystem of every single person is going to be talking about this and every single analyst is going to be talking about it. So somebody's going to step up and and, and evolve into that leadership role. And we'll see that over time. Speaking of time, we're out of it right now, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number four in our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.